Library Podcast, a conversational podcast about what we are reading, as well as what is happening at the library and in Richfield, Ohio. You'll be listening to Jen, Christina, and hold on, we have a special episode today with special guests who have just moved into our neighborhood. Feel a little Sesame Street, who are the people in your neighborhood? So we have special <laughs> guests today that... Um, I won't say anything right now, but we're going to talk about books that they are reading and projects that they are doing. So quickly, I'll introduce myself. I'm Jen, and I'm the teen librarian and branch manager here at the library, and I'm very excited to hopefully correlate my book with your work. It's going to be a stretch, but I I think it's going to work. I'm Christina. I work at the library. I've talked a lot about being an artist as well. And uh, one thing that I have noticed <laughs> that is really challenging about art is getting people to care about your work, <laughs> especially when it's not right in front of them, to get them to remember and think about it later and seek it back out again. And one way to do that is to get them involved with your work. And But that has its own challenges, which leads me to our guests. My, uh, Mac and Elise, you guys wanna say hi? Sure. Hi, I'm Elise Love. And I am Mac Love. <laughs> <laughs> we are a husband and wife team. We co-founded Art by Love, a uh, creative agency here in the greater Akron area. We just moved into our new studio space um, back in December. We are in the Garth Andrews building here in Bath, so we're very excited to be here. Yeah, just down the street. Oh, and we're so excited to have you guys. Yeah. And you're close to the Pint and Pie Works that just opened. Mac, has, he went without me, so like <laughs> the fact that I'm still speaking to him <laughs> says a lot about our relationship, I think, but Aww. yeah. She knows this. Uh, I was eyeing the sign on their door yes. for months, basically just planning on slipping a little letter under and being like, we want to be your pizza taste testers. Just, <laughs> we want the first pies. Um, just since talked to the owner, awesome business. Everybody should go there. Great, great. Yeah, we're, we're planning on doing a staff dinner or lunch when, I don't know when, hopefully when things quiet down. But yeah, I also was eyeing the sign that was up while they were renovating the building. So. I, I have it under good authority. They will be opening for lunch when they get a, a few additional staff. Oh, all right. Yeah. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> it's a scoop. <laughs> All right, you have some questions. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your, your work. Uh, so I have been a working artist since I was 11 years old. Uh, that's when I first uh, was paid a commission to do portraiture. So um, I'm actually 42 now, so I've been doing this for over 30 years. Uh, I've done portraiture, I have done book illustration, I have done murals. I worked briefly for Marvel Comics. I've done advertising, branding, and packaging design. What he's trying to say is he's old. <laughs> and he's been around for a while. And he's I've seasoned. had a lot of jobs. Seasoned is a You're good seasoned. word for it. Yes, very. I'm seasoned as well. Um, I've also worked as a teacher, a firefighter, waited tables. All of those jobs and experiences contribute to the creative success I have today. So. Yeah, we, um, we met in New York City uh, working at a package design agency. So I worked on the client relationship side. He worked on the design and strategic side. And when we got engaged and moved back to Ohio, well, I moved back. I 
he dragged me back, even though he's not the one who's from here. I always wanted to live in Ohio. I'm a diehard <laughs> Cleveland sports fan. Uh, my father's from North Olmsted, and I was just raised that way. Okay. Yeah. So. so we moved back, and we got jobs, and we kind of looked at each other like, we have really good training. I think we could do this. And so we started our agency in October of 2015. We've been around doing it for six years. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, for people who maybe might be looking for our work or wondering what it is, um, we have 100 murals in various sizes spread across uh, Akron. We've done 50 placemaking transformations and hired over 300 local artists since 2017. One of whom is sitting across the table from us. Yes. Yeah. This is true. This is very true. Um, and we just, we, we like making artwork, not just because it's fun to do, but we like it to be successful for the audiences and people it's for. So Christina, yeah. why don't you add, why did they reference you? Oh yes, so I uh, got to participate in a, uh, they made an Akron deck, a deck of cards with uh, 52 local artists. And it's been just so fascinating to watch it be something that is really truly mutually beneficial for all of the parties involved. It's really mind-boggling to me because I've been a lot involved in a lot of art things, and it's usually, um, I mean, there's certainly benefits, but there's usually not a lot of uh, monetary benefits. And you drew what? I drew the library. <laughs> the main, li main library, right? Correct. Main yeah. library. Yeah. Yep. So. Um, I would like to add, she also submitted awesome drawings of Nervous Dog Coffee and Strickland's <laughs> Ice Cream. And it, it's heartbreaking to get that many art submissions and only be, to be able to select one per artist. Mm -hmm. But uh, the deck of playing cards is divided north, south, east, and west of Akron. Uh, and they, it started as a Kickstarter project. Uh, at the start of the pandemic, we raised $5,000 to pay for 1,000 decks. We're now at, is it, how many are we at? 7,500? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think more like 5000 Yeah, we've raised over $27,000 for local artists wow. through this since it launched in November of last year. And that doesn't include the money that the local businesses get from their own sales. Yeah, it's, very, it's just very fun to watch it. It's like the, usually what was the end of a project from an artist's perspective is like just the beginning of this, it feels like on my end. so. My favorite part of the whole project, I got to write the checks to the artists. So we do, instead of hiring for a commission because we didn't have any money up front, we decided to structure the project so that artists get royalties for life. So all, it's 54 artists because the Jokers, can't forget about oh, the yes. Jokers. Um, each artist gets royalties for life, a percentage of the sales. So. I got to cut the 2020 royalty checks in January. I will get to do it again for 2021 and hopefully forever and ever, amen. So um, that was just, we couldn't have anticipated the amount of support that the Akron community took for it. They were clamoring for them, especially around the holidays. So it's been really, really fun. We, uh, we should give a shout out that we are going to be launching a call for artists this holiday season for a second deck of cards. <laughs> um, so there's no cost to submit an image. It just needs to be of your work or creative medium featuring somehow or highlighting an Akron landmark or business. Uh, our goal is to have that next deck of cards ready to launch next holiday season. Oh, nice. Very exciting. You're 
her, her wheels are turning. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely turning. I'm checked out. I need to go work. I need to go drop. <laughs> well, it's kind of unfair to try to fit all of Akron into just 54 cards, too. Yeah. So our goal is to make sure we do, do a good service to it and yeah, get everything else in there we couldn't fit in the first time around. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about um, the rubber worker. Yeah, so uh, we love stories. Um, We've done a lot of research projects in Akron, and as someone who's not originally from here, um, that research is really important to my work because ultimately this community is my audience. So I want to really understand how they see and uh, feel things. And so I was very lucky to be connected to uh, Miriam Ray through a mutual friend, Beth Becker, who thought that I could help Miriam with this dream project she had of getting a rubber worker statue in downtown Akron. And at the time when we met, Miriam had, ide- Miriam's idea had kind of evolved to funding the statue with commemorative brick sales and recording people's stories. And over about maybe six months after I came on board, the city decided to fund the statue itself, which is now installed on Main and Mill Street in downtown Akron. Uh, right next to the Main Avenue uh, branch, mm-hmm. a library. And on the northeast corner is an oral history kiosk, which was f- entirely funded and paid for through the sale of these commemorative bricks, which are still on sale. Uh, I guess no shameless yeah. plug-in. AkronStories.com. Yeah. <laughs> AkronStories.com. Um, but the city has asked us to continue selling the commemorative bricks indefinitely. Um, and those funds pay for this oral history project where we record the stories of Akron's rubber workers and their descendants, and then we use a combination of family and archival film and photography to bring short excerpts of those stories to life. Um, The full stories are stored uh, in the University of Akron archives, but to date we've recorded, uh, I think we've produced 75 short films at this point, and we have thousands of stories in the can that we want to produce about Literally everything. everything, everything, you know, from, you know, World War One all the way through, like, early immigrant stories of families that came to Akron to, uh, you know, the Akron industry leaving, things that have reemerged since then. Um, ultimately, all the stories are of resilience and triumph and family values, and they're just really powerful and awesome. So a- anyone who wants to share or share a story, or actually just see the stories, uh, can go see them at akronstories.com or the kiosk downtown. Because you were supposed to be, you were supposed to be here uh, recording in our location and then we all know what happened in 2020, take a guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was a disappointment, but I'm happy it moved forward. And there's an Instagram picture of you uploading or, or preparing that kiosk that you mentioned. So that was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, if I could add something to that too. So it was interesting during the pandemic, you know, a lot of things changed for a lot of people. Uh, we had to cancel 36 public recording sessions for the Akron Stories project. But what ended up happening was a lot of people submitted their own recordings, which they did from home or they met or organized calls with family members or went to their assisted living centers and recorded them directly. Um, A lot of people took a lot of responsibility and kind of Mm -hmm. went about doing it the right way, which was nice. And it puts even more kind of responsibility, um, I think, and emphasis on the project with that generation whose stories we're collecting. Um, I know probably about a dozen people who we have interviewed are no longer with us. (gasps) 
And so these recordings are, you know, really a powerful testament to their lives, uh, their family's dedication to the community. And Mm -hmm. it's obviously, it's an awesome responsibility to be able to share that and pass that forward. And we hope everyone will, you know, visit the project, listen to these stories. There's something to learn for everybody in there. And we made them really bite-sized. Some of the stories are just 30 seconds to like a minute and a half. So Easy breezy. Yeah, you're going to just want to keep on nibbling through all of Akron history and identity and culture. It's, there's a lot in there. Do you have a favorite? Do you have one that just right away... I don't know if it's a favorite, but literally today we have two people working on videos. Mac was working on videos. So there was just imagery on everyone's computers. And I turned around and there's this gorgeous woman, you know, 40s, 1940s-ish, so it's a little sepia toned, holding just a magnificently giant rifle. I was like, what (laughs) is happening in that photo? And it just makes you, there's a whole story behind it, I won't bore you with the details, but it just, that's not what I expected to see when I turned around (laughs) on his computer. Well, I was able to quickly answer. I was like, oh, that's Lucille Esposito's mother, um, who was a riveter and worked on the Corsairs and the planes during World War II. And in her story, she talks about how being a well-built woman, like a strongly built person, was an incredible asset. Um, And she had some Some, great jokes and colorful. We won't. I so want no, to. No, we're not going to oh, do it. No. What? <laughs> you they can always cut it out. You can cut it out they if you want. Like, so, you uh, won't bore us with details. Come on, who are you talking to? That's we're fair. all that's about fair. the details of stories. So there are a lot of family anecdotes in these stories, a lot of colorful language. Um, in this one particular excerpt with Lucille, she talks about how her mother liked to say that the skinny ones and the heavy ones all die. But I was well built. I'm a robust woman. And so... Uh, this was, you know, good work for her. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so you can edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> um, I'll say one of my favorite stories. Uh, there were there were two today. Um, one was about a, a one-armed tire builder, and uh, it was uh, his daughter who was recounting the story. And he played baseball for the Goodyear baseball team, and she was recounting how. Ha- how ferocious he was as a competitor, how that helped him do jobs better than some people could do with two arms. Um, The other story was, uh, I was doing some additional research on the deaf community, because we have a lot of deaf community stories in the project as well. Um, And so I was making sure my team had imagery of the Akron Silence football team, which was Goodyear's deaf football team. Mm -hmm. Um, And also some pictures of the Gallaudet football team, which is credited with inventing the huddle to help hide their hand signals from opposing teams. What? So there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of innovation to be gleaned from this community. I love that story. I love stories. <laughs> this is why I love stories. We have an embarrassment of riches with this project. From <laughs> yeah. Hungarian cooking recipes to uh, you know, little DIY fixes, uh, stories of the black snow that used to fall in wintertime from the factories. Uh, uh, a story of a woman who uh, made the parachute that saved her, the backup parachute that saved her son's life uh, when he was jumping out of airplanes uh, in the Pacific. It, it covers everything. Goes on. Yeah. 
I'm speechless. They're the like, and my, the hair is on my podcast mind. over. We are going to be going to the computer to watch Akron <laughs> stories for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jen's like, and I'm done. <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted. <laughs> That's a, my grandfather uh, worked for Goodyear, and that was something that they talked about a lot was the black snow. It's <laughs> just so unsettling. They were like, oh, yeah, there was rubber and snow. Like, I'm so chill about this thing that <laughs> my sister and I found so mortifying. Well, you've got these stories where people are talking about, like, the smell of Akron. And, you know, it's not just the smell of rubber. Back in the day, it was the smell of rubber combined with Quaker oats, which could oh. be quite a powerful oh, thing. Um, but then also, as people would describe it, that's the smell of money. Um, and about how big and affluent of a blue-collar culture and community this was. Um, people used to send their families up from Atlanta to Akron because it was the recreation paradise. It had all of the newest, most beautiful, most convenient things. Bus systems, streetcars, pools, parks. It was the place to be. Huh? Do we want to get into the books that yeah. we're reading? Yeah, let's talk books. All right. Who wants to go first? Who wants to talk about their book? Elise is the big reader. I want to let her. <laughs> so I will shout out to an organization I'm involved in in Akron. It's called Torchbearers. It's a young professionals group. We started a book club um, during the pandemic. So active members, alumni members, we can get together. We've had one in-person social event to meet, but we did start during the pandemic. It's been so, we have two kids under five, so reading is luxury, and I would like to read more than I do, but I get one book done a month, and that's about all that I can handle, but we've read some incredible. I just started Cuyahoga by Paul Betty, BD Betty. Um, I'm only literally 22 pages in, so I'm not sure I'm going to talk about that one because I'm not really sure what it's about yet. <laughs> I'm only 22 pages in, um, but we just read Winter's Bone, which I had never read and I had not seen the movie either. It's about like, uh, um, oh, what is that? What is that scary show? It's the part of the country, oh, Sugar Shane. What is it called? <laughs> I'll have like to look it up. Word. Sugar Shane. Um, it was really good. It was a mixture of beautiful, descriptive words about the landscape and where they are and also like every character talks kind of low country Ozarks in the Ozarks okay. oh. thank goodness I remembered it um, so it's set in the Ozarks like a very rough rural lots of drugs no money but it's about this one young girl's resiliency and her ability to like take care of her family and do whatever is necessary. Jennifer Lawrence's big first role, that was that movie, Winter's Bone. So that was last month and it was really great. And the month before that was um, the final revival of Opal and Nev, which if you've not read, it is phenomenal. It's about, it's a fictional story about um, a white British kind of singer-songwriter, rock and roll guy, and this black punk artist and their collaboration and then the span of their careers and race in America and in music. And I thought it was real. I literally looked up what these people look like because it was so real oh. in the book. It's not real. It's, it's fiction. Um, but I really want it to be real. <laughs> so those are, those are the two books that I've read that are just incredible, incredible stories. Is Ozark 
the one with Jason Bateman? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. So it's not based on that, but it's that same time period, that same okay. part of the world. It was, it's a beautifully written the book. young girl in that show is like popping up everywhere and she's so fantastic. Yeah, she is fantastic. It's not quite the same, but same time period, I think. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm reading a book by Alastair McLeod called Island. This was probably given to me maybe 17 years ago. <laughs> and I've always been meaning to read it. My parents gave it to me and they were like, we think you'd really, really love this. Never touched it for about 17 years, uh, but I'm finally getting to it now. Um, I tend to do that thing, I don't know if you do it, where I, I mix the themes of what I'm reading a lot. So I will read academic books and textbooks to kind of learn and inform what we do. Um, I, I also, I, like I've got a subscription to National Geographic and I read the newspaper every day, so that's also part of my reading routine. Um, I like to read short stories, fiction, fantasy, but... Um, what is this one about? This, and this is a collection of short stories about Cape Breton uh, in Nova Scotia. Um, Alistair MacLeod uh, writes these incredibly lush narratives about growing up in farm life, mining life, mining townships, um, in a period of history where you know, the future is coming and old ways of lives, old jobs um, are kind of fading out. So it has a lot of parallels to the rubber industry. Mm. Um, but the most recent short story in it that I read was particularly about farming life. And it was talking about the natural cycles of animals, which I'd never really thought about, their breeding cycles, and how as farmers you prepare for that. And sometimes you try to delay it because if some farm animals breed when they want to, the chance of survival of their offspring is very low. And so the steps that you might take to ensure you have a healthy and happy you know, farm community with all of these diverse animals and you can imagine a lot of different schedules to manage. So. Boys on one side, girls on the other yes. of the fence. No touching. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Tie, it's like a middle school day. Yeah. <laughs> tie the bad boy to a stake in the middle of the field. Keep him away from everyone else. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. a middle school dance. There you go. <laughs> I think Cape Breton is where um, Natalie McMaster's, I want to say, is from. She's a fiddle player. Mm. And. Um, Anyway, I picked up the fiddle because of her, but I am not a fiddle player. <laughs> not. I have all the ambition, but it made me think of that. I'm like, oh, it's coming around that Natalie's um, a reminder that maybe I should pick up that violin that I bought and play it. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get it this time around. But anyway, that's very interesting. We were, because I'm glad you're connecting with the short stories because if I may, the one that I picked up, because I love your short stories, is called Last Call. Mm. And it's by Brad Thomas Parsons. And this one is, um, he did, he was at a bar and he realized, wow, his mortality, went, and this is pre-COVID, I, I feel weird saying everything has to be pre-COVID. and. Um, he was just watching the bartender that night and just watching the interactions of the people coming through. And the next thing he, I, he realized is that um, lights were on, last call. And he's like, there was a lot that ha transpired this night. So he realized that bars are performing spaces and it's where comedy and tragedy and drama and everything in between happens in that, you know, that time frame. And he said, on any given night you are a player, whether you are the main, a main actor 
or you're sitting on the side. And I thought that was just really interesting. Not that I hang out at bars, but <laughs> too much. But I'm like, I love the stories that, uh, or the setting that he's uh, uh, creating for us. Uh, but he said that the, the bartender is by far the center stage actor. And he or she creates the mood um, and determines like the well-being of all the guests. And I thought that is so true. So here, so he sets this up where he's now gonna travel the country and he selects 80 bars to be in this book. I wish they were more diverse, you know, maybe Ohio or Iowa. He tends to hit like a lot of San Francisco and New York, but I'll forgive him because the stories are just so good. <laughs> but um, so he, he asked the bartenders, you know, what is it like to work here? Why do you stick with it? What is your last drink? So if it was your last call, if someone was coming tonight to get you, what would your last drink be? Your, what is your philosophy on life? What is closing time like at your bar? And it's just, I think it's an ethnographer's dream to like code <laughs> all the emotions that happen at a bar and how attuned they are to people. Um, and he said the best bartenders are the ones who, when you're sitting right in front of, you know, you're sitting right in front of the bartender, they can gauge, are you tired? Are you happy? Where are you in life? And how can I fix you up? How can I just make your life better? And sometimes I think, um, especially this past year, I feel like a bartender at the front desk because now I'm even wiping down the counter after you leave with <laughs> some Clorox wipes. So now I'm really feeling like a bartender. Um, so uh, one of them is, one of the, my favorite stories in here comes from the Ticonderoga, um, I should have practiced spelling this, Ticonderoga Club in Atlanta, Georgia. And the bartender, um, Greg Best, said he even thought about the bathrooms. <laughs> so as he says, they are always lame in a bar. They make you sad about your life, and they make you sad about how many drinks you've had while you're sitting in this sad little bathroom. So he said he wanted the bathrooms to be exhilarating places where the aesthetics are, in his case, very Twin Peaks and it's the most Instagrammed part of the bar. <laughs> so next time you work on a project, I want you to think about the bathrooms. bathrooms. There you go, because that's where people are sad. And the second favorite story I have is drink in Boston. So next time you're in Boston, your mission is to go to drink and tell me if what Ezra Starr said is true. She said she has no bar menu that her bartenders take about four years to master the 2,000 drinks that they make. And their job is, so when you walk in, she says the guests don't know our language, the guests don't know our, our knowledge, and it's up to us to distill that out of you and then make what you want. She said, you can come in and say, I want a vodka cocktail, make it light. She says, you might not want vodka. You might not like the taste of vodka. It's my job to say you want something light, sweet, and is going to knock the pants off of you because you've had a rough day. <laughs> and what can I make for you to, put, to give you what you think you want to give you what I know you want? And I thought that is phenomenal to be so attuned to your guest. I think that that's a lot of what artists do, too. Like 
we will have a project where you know we we go through this whole process and we have homework if it's a commission homework for the people purchasing so we know what you like and what you don't like what you gravitate towards colors patterns what have you but sometimes they they think they know, but they really don't know. And that's the fun of it. That's what Mac is so good at is like figuring out, okay, it's for this room and you say you want it this way, but what is it supposed to make you feel like? What is it supposed to, like you walk in the door, you that's the first thing you see, what, it, what happens then? And that's, I like watching that part of the process. I am not an artist, I'll throw <laughs> that out there, but I think that's really fun. Uh, I will mention that my 18 years of bartending experience definitely helped. Oh uh, I have definitely been the the therapist, the friend, the confidant, um, the person who helped a total stranger get home, the one who was entrusted by a celebrity to babysit his daughter while he performed a reggae concert. Like, I've been through some interesting stories and scenarios with that. Um, every bit as crazy as you would imagine, but there's something certainly unique that happens when people avail themselves that way. Um, you know, just when you, when you travel, you know, when anyone travels, you, you're around strangers all the time, but no one knows any of your history. Mm -hmm. So you kind of open yourself up and communicate in different ways. Uh, you also read body language very differently. Um, it's one of the reasons why people who are apprehensive about traveling to a foreign country, you really don't have to be. Like, humanity is fundamentally the same everywhere, and you will get by, you will get to where you need to go. People are good. Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, with the art piece, I want to give a shout out to another book I just love. Um, it's called Understanding Comics. Um, I, was, I wanted to be a comic artist when I was a kid. And so this book by Scott McCloud talks about comics as the invisible art form and how its origins start with language and how piecing together two symbols is really the formation of meaning. But the gap between those symbols is really where you as the reader fill in the narrative. So if you think of just a two panel comic and in one panel there's an axe being held in the air and in the next panel there's like the moon and a night sky and just the text well, you didn't see anything happen, but you know something happened between those two panels that probably wasn't too good for whoever was like saying, ah. at least just laughing at my scream here. It was pretty terrible. It sounded like a bird getting strangled. It's terrible. Um, it's terrible. But I think there's a lot to be said for that with bartending and just the way we relate to each other and listen to stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. They hear a lot of stories, I can only imagine. Yeah. Sometimes too many. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sometimes you're fishing for the other customers. What else can I do? I'm going to go make some ice. <laughs> so is Star, um, this Ezra Star also Matt, said something about um, last call, and she said how she takes care of the people who have managed to sit across from her or, you know, within relative speaking of the length of the bar. And... Um, She's like, this is the part where I start to really connect with those in front of me. I stop serving, and then I start engaging with, with those folks across from me um, and listening to their stories. And she also said, um, we're also equals now at this point, because I stopped serving. Now I can just listen, and we can just talk one-on-one. -on -one. I thought that was really neat. And then I also love, because we're reading a lot about the, the great resignation, how much she takes care of her staff. So she says, we pass out beer for staff at 1 a.m. every night. And I thought, she, she's like, I take care of them. Sunday night, there's a toast to end the week. 
and it's a big thank you. Thank you for spending your time with me. And then we form a line and everyone runs down the line and we high five and we cheer each other on. And sometimes we sit down and we talk about the good things and we talk about the bad things and the ugly things. And then we do, sometimes we do a shot at the end of the night. So I really like that right now during this time, I thought that's what people need is to really feel connected and like a family when you're at work. So I really like this. I really liked the taking care part of this book. I mean, I know it's about alcohol because there's recipes in here, but I just crave that the roots that these third places represent. I just love the third place that humanity is here and it's reading how we were before these disorienting times. It's like, oh yeah, this is what we did together. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't wait to get back. So that was Last Call by Brad Thomas Parsons. And what would be your last call beverage? Oh, I, my husband thinks I should be a bartender, but I, man, I can't even remember like three drink recipes, <laughs> let alone. So I'm into um, old fashions. I got to know the old fashioned. I tried a Manhattan. I am not there yet. Whew, that was rough. I pushed that one back to my husband. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. Um, but a good old fashioned, I think, is where I'm at. Yeah. Nice. But I haven't really explored. If anyone is up to take me off, joking. <laughs> take me up on exploring. No, joking. <laughs> This is a work-related podcast, Jen. That's so funny, because my first drink in college was a Cosmopolitan. I don't know how I got in my head that that was like the most sophisticated thing you could possibly Mine drink. Mine was Zima. Yes. It's super. My, my father helped launch the ad campaign for that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, something most people don't know about a lot of uh, bartenders, too. Bartenders, bartenders are extremely well-versed in non-alcoholic cocktails as well. Uh, most of the time we're being asked to make like martinis and things like oh. that. Um, also just somebody wants something, they have to drive at the end of the night, but don't want to look like they're drinking something different. So that used to be my specialty as a oh, bartender. Neat. I will also say for any of the women out there who are pregnant and don't want to tell anyone, don't get a water at a bar. Order a mocktail because then you're going to be answering questions all night. And if you just want to keep your secret a little while longer, you either order a vodka soda in a little glass, so it looks like a vodka soda, which is water, or get a mocktail. It helps. Brilliant. Yeah. And if you really want to play some tricks on your friends, pretend that there's alcohol in it and let the bartender just make them non-alcoholic drinks all night. <laughs> is there like a code to my, so you don't say, can I have a mocktail? Is there a code? Um, the most of the, the people who'd order drinks for me, they had nicknames for their drinks, so my one was the, called the Nobody. Okay. It was the Nobody. Yeah, it was the <laughs> reggae guy who came off with it, actually, the reggae oh musician. But, yeah. <laughs> At least it's rolling your eyes. <laughs> this is my life. I'm full of stories. <laughs> you don't want to hear about Bob Marley's cousin? No, I don't. Okay. Oh. It's okay. a whole other story. We'll save that for part two when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I started with Cosmopolitans and realized, oh, I'm getting judged for this drink. And so I went, I switched to Manhattans because it was like, that could command respect, but it came in the martini glass, which is apparently what I was really after. I was like, I, I want the martini glass. It's so sure, put, put whiskey in it and then respect me. I <laughs> did, does it? Yeah. But, the color but of the liquid recently, I, uh, 
I made myself a Manhattan. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I drink these? <laughs> <laughs> Stronger than I remember. Yeah. So, it's funny. Um, so the book that I, I actually reread it because I read it, I had read it like right, mm, right when it came out. So probably about six months before the pandemic. Um, and I don't usually reread things. Um, because it's so overwhelming. There's so many books to read. It feels unjustifiable to like go back. But it was so fantastic. And I kind of, I think I was afraid that it wasn't going to be as magical if I picked it back up. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very excited to talk about it. It's Exhalation by Ted Chang. Um, it's a collection of short stories. I heard about it because uh, he wrote the short story that Arrival, the movie with Amy Adams, mm. is based on. Um, which got like, I felt like nobody was talking about it at the time because it was sci-fi, but it's not action at all. It is Amy Adams talking to Octopus. No, I've watched it several times. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's this is so exactly my type of sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you think about what it means to be alive and human, yes. to communicate with others. Yeah, yeah, it's sci-fi that just underscores humanity. Mm -hmm. So that's really his specialty and it just sort of blows my mind going back and reading these again and and uh, and thinking about uh, he kind of, he pulls you in and it's very precise and very succinct that's another thing I really like a lot of short stories are like authors kind of warming up for a novel this feels like it was designed to be a short story it's like a it's like a watch or something it's like every little piece is exactly there for a reason and it wouldn't make sense there's no reason to drag it out like he, he gets his point across um, and yeah, the emotional impact of the stories are, is really fantastic. He, ta he talks a lot about language and how it affects perception. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like characters learning a new language or learning a new way to write or learning to write for the first time if they come from like an oral tradition and how it changes their perspective and suddenly they can, they're thinking differently, which is something that I've heard a lot of bilingual and trilingual people talk about, um, how you can, like you know things some certain things don't translate like the concept isn't even um there because we don't even realize how much our thinking is framed by how we can convey that verbally and that's another thing i've heard from people is when you start to dream in another language is when you're um proficient in it mm -hmm. <laughs> which i just think is fascinating it's never something i've achieved but i've heard that from so many people and it's like so mind-boggling <laughs> to think about that changing your dreams. Um, my, my last two years in high school, I worked at a French retirement home as part of my French conversation <laughs> class. Yeah. What he went to high school. He went to high school in Belgium, so oh. that's if there's context. I just have crazy stories. That's so yeah. weird. He's so weird, guys. He's so weird. But I but I dreamed in French for basically like a year and a half and then I came back to the US for college and I wanted to study everything else, but I had a liberal arts education, so I had to study a foreign language, and I was like, I'll do French. I failed the French equivalency <laughs> exam of my college. They said that I used too much slang. Um, I also was very opinionated, which was not the type of feedback they wanted on questions like, you know, why was Alexei late for his date? You know, I, what they wanted was, uh, you know, he didn't keep track of the time and instead I was saying things like he was an idiot you know, he wasn't thinking about anything he was selfish you know he was he got caught up in everything yeah. yeah 
And so I ended up getting Alexi this. Alexi doesn't deserve a date. <laughs> they, scored my, they scored my essay as zero, and that was worth 70% of the score. So I had to go to French, introductory to French. <laughs> that is not right. No, that's not right. Because you used everything else to describe... And to me, all right, never mind. I'm not. Well, that's a, that's a testing conversation for it another time. It depends if that's a very French sensibility. It sounds to me, honestly, more of an American sensibility. And Belgian French testing. is a little different from <laughs> French French. There are all kinds of dialects and regional ways of mm-hmm, doing things mm-hmm. too. Uh, even the way we would pronounce words in Belgium are a little different than you do in France. So, hmm. yeah, I was non-traditional in too many ways. Shocker. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, that's all right. Yeah, so it's I would highly recommend. He's got he's only he like once a decade he comes out with a collection of short stories. So you got you got to wait. He's slow baking these. But uh but they're worth the wait for sure. It's so yeah, he's got two collections, stories of your life and other stories and exhalation. They're both fantastic. Are they all sci-fi related? Yeah, so so I didn't realize actually how much I really love sci-fi because I don't like I don't like that real technical like I what I love is he changes like usually he's changing like one variable. It's like supposing reality but one like he has one that's like a page and a half what's expected of us and <laughs> it's like exactly our society but supposing someone comes out with a toy that's just a button and it flashes a second before you touch it. So it has a negative one second time delay and everyone's kind of treating it like a toy, but you, you can't trick this thing. You think you're gonna sit there and watch it and go, I'm gonna wait for it to flash and I'm not gonna hit it. And it will never flash because you didn't hit it. <laughs> or you think you're gonna like outrace it and like hit it before it flashes and you can never outrace this thing. And he's like, just this one simple device throws the entire society, like they start to recognize this means we don't have free will. And then what does that do to society if all of a sudden half of the people don't believe you have free will anymore? <laughs> and just in a page and a half, he's like, he just explores that and then you move to the next <laughs> story. Thanks for leaving me hanging. <laughs> it's really sort of amazing. Or like he'll do, um, there's uh, one called Amphiles which is ancient Greek for navel, and the premise is, what if there's scientific evidence of creation? Like, we actually just have scientific evidence, the world was created, we know exactly the year, because this is when tree rings start, this is when uh, seashells start having ridges, like, all of this evidence, and you would think, oh, that, you know, all of these things we think would be solved by having this evidence of creation, and it doesn't solve anything. Mm, Makes it work. So, yeah, so he has, like, he just does a great job of like, okay, say for the sake of argument, this thing that you think you want to know, supposing society knows it, what does that change? And it's like so fascinating. Like his thought experiments are just really glorious. But he's taking, like you always are tracking with this character. It's never like, you know, it's these heady abstract ideas, but you're always being, you know, in the eyes of somebody and you're like really, it's really relatable. It's never just like, throw you out into space and like observe from afar. You're always like right in the action. So uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like when it's always like uh, when people think of sci-fi and it's 
all of this constructed stuff and you it's know Sigourney Weaver on a spaceship yes. yeah yeah mm. yelling don't touch the eggs guys yeah yeah don't be stupid it's like men at war in space yeah right? okay <laughs> <laughs> why is this endlessly fascinating because it's not fascinating to me <laughs> but this is like almost almost I mean he's more sci-fi but I love a lot of what they are calling magical realism now which is like reality but a few little things just kind of tweaked a little uh, do you read any of Neil Gaiman's short stories, or have you? I haven't. Uh, so oh. If you're waiting too long for your next collection, oh. his, his short stories are great. They're more fantastical, or maybe more magical, than scientific, but um, very much that single ingredient kind of thing. Perfect length of story. You don't need any more of it, but the examples you were giving made me think of one of his in particular. And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, you, you'll like know. it. Yeah, yeah, because he's, he's a little more prolific. Yeah, uh, he writes a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, his comic books are also amazing. The Sandman series and all yes. that. But short stories, full length. Yeah, could go on. I think I've read almost everything of his. I met him in Atlanta. I got to sit next to him at an ALA conference right when um, he was starting to hit it off here. And I was really young, 27, and I was afraid to talk to him. So the whole time I sat next to Neil Gaiman in his leather, and he didn't talk to anybody either because he was also very, I don't know, shy or just in an awkward stage of his career. And I'm like, now I look back and I'm like, I sat next to you and we just sat there eating our shrimp cocktail. <laughs> in silence. I was afraid to talk to you. I knew who you were. Was he dressed all in black? He was all in black, his leather. Eating yeah. shrimp cocktail. It's amazing. Yeah, eating, <laughs> yeah. So that was my, so yeah, that's my, you know, you always have regrets when you're 27, like, I can't talk to him. Like, what was I thinking? I cried. Ah. He was probably thinking the exact same back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How he's am I going to, what are they going to think of my accent? You know? <laughs> Does anyone understand what I'm trying to do? <laughs> right. Or just say, hi, I'm Neil Gaiman. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Wait for the recognition. Are you having a good time? <laughs> yeah. How's that shrimp? How's that shrimp? <laughs> <laughs> So that's my, that's as close, <laughs> six degrees of, of Neil. Anyway, anything else? Or I feel, I don't want to let them go. I want to suggest <laughs> <laughs> that, it, um, you know, anytime you want to be a guest at the library and work the desk, you are certainly qualified <laughs> to do so. Um, he doesn't have librarian on his list. Well, he's of, certainly well read. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. are you. I do have librarians. Oh, of course he does. Of course he does, guys. <laughs> I, I was a circulation assistant for three years in college. Oh, Lord. Get we'll out. See. Again, what haven't you He's done? He's not real, guys. He's not real. <laughs> well, I want to thank you again for your time and your effort and your stories and your art. Really do appreciate it. He's getting directions yeah. as we speak. <laughs> as he takes pictures as of us. <laughs> Christina, do you want to take it away? Do you want to close us down? It's last call. This is, oh, oh way to bring it back. Last call. Way to bring it back. Yeah. Put on the music to, uh, we're bringing up the bar lights. Right, yeah. Here we go. Richfield Branch Library is a branch of the Akron Summit County Public Library. Our theme music this season is examples from your musician Katza and was made available through a Creative Commons license on the Free Music Archive. Thank you all. Thank you for having us. Thank this you. was so great. That was a fun great to have you.